Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. Sarah Thinkham Matthews is a recipient of fellowships from the Asian American Writers Workshop and the Iowa's Writers Workshop. And her work has been published in Best American Short Stories. All This Could Be Different is her electrifying novel of a young immigrant building a life for herself, a warm, dazzling, and profound saga of queer love, friendship, work, and precarity in 21st century America. Now let's join Penguin's own Carolina Merkins in conversation with Sarah Thinkham Matthews. Uh, Well, thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Um, I'm, like, so obsessed with your book. (laughs) I just—it was one of the books that really stayed with me. Like, when I finished it, I just—I, like, held it to my heart, and it was just so moving as, like, a queer brown person and a child of immigrants. It just really resonated with me, and it's received so much praise. Congratulations for being shortlisted for the National Book Award. How have you felt about the reception of your book? Oh, my God. Um, Well, first of all, thank you. I think that there's— just, if I'm being absolutely honest, I'm overwhelmed and <laughs> I don't know what to feel yeah. um, about so much of it other than obvious like delight and joy. I think what has really struck me in this unexpected way is that it's really the person-to-person reactions that hit so hard and meaningfully for me. Like even just now what you said about yeah. feeling a personal connection to the book and loving it um, – each time I'm like, damn, this must be what heroin feels like. <laughs> and then, um, you know, in contrast, when I see, you know, something like the the shortlist, you know, my my cognitive ability is just like flatline. Right. I'm like, okay, that's amazing. And also what? Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's happened so quickly. Like the book came out in September? in uh, At the beginning of August. Okay, the beginning of August. Wow. Well, <laughs> congrats. Like I know. Thank I mean, you so much. And it's, it's so nice to be here and talking to you. Absolutely. Like I started at PRH almost six months ago. Um, so I'm kind of new to everything. But I have a background in like multicultural, like curation of authors. And I run my own magazine and things like that that so I really am just pumped to like bring these stories to the forefront as best I can and have these important conversations about publishing and identity and like what inspires you um so I guess like jumping into the book I'm interested in knowing like how you positioned the book with its themes in like the somewhat binary world of publishing so for our listeners who don't know all this could be different is Sarah's uh, debut novel and it explores queerness friendship and community immigration forging a life for yourself financially so Socially, emotionally, and your novel just like really celebrates the beautiful, messy complexity of being brown and queer in this country. So, was it a challenge to position it with all of these different themes? I think, you know, I might have found it an impossible challenge if I had sort of sat down and said to myself, Well, I'm going to write a book about being brown and being queer and material precarity Mm -hmm. and late capitalism and racial capitalism, I think it really helped me to sort of start small. Um, You know, there's sort of this ongoing metaphor um, Mm -hmm. slash like figurative through line in the novel about seeds Mm -hmm. um, and the the seeds we plant and what, what they grow into. And I think that at a craft level, I also approach some things with seeds. So for me, the seed was really this voice Mm-hmm. that the novel started with. Um, it's mixture of um, aloofness and desire to um, divulge. Yeah. You know, it's um mixture of 
ju- judgmentalness and uh, or it's a mixture of judgment and vulnerability mm-hmm. um, and the hunger within it, you know. So I think that I really more than anything paid attention to the voice and then in um, in honesty, I thought about the fact that I have never lived um, a single issue life. Mm. I have never known what it's like to be um, only queer and not brown. Mm-hmm. I have not. I have never known what it is to be brown without being queer. Um, you know, and and I think that one of my great frustrations with large swaths of the um, literary realism canon is the way in which it obscures and Mm -hmm. obfuscates class and money. And so I knew no matter what that I would try to make um, money and class and the question of like who is paying for what and how's the bank account doing be not just part of dialogue, um, you know, or even characterization, but part of the plot, part Mm -hmm. of the ticking clock of the book. And that's one of the things that, I guess, surprised me when I was reading it because we, I mean, the the blurbs are always, like, they're so helpful to knowing the context. But when you start the book, you're really, like, brought into Sneha's world. Is that, am I saying that correctly, yes, Sneha? Yes, perfect. Um, and it's funny you said aloof because I actually wrote in my note, in my notes that I felt like her voice was very, like, aloof but withholding. And there's this, like, disillusioned air to her that, mm-hmm. like, reminds me of just being a millennial and, like, yes. growing up in this crazy time that we are living in um, and there's also this understanding that like we have I guess as as brown people that kids who go through a lot tend to like mature quickly mm-hmm. um, and like they're not given as much real estate to like dream in the same way that as you know more privileged kids so I felt like this evolution of Sneha's character is a perfect example of how like we she seems mature but then we're really reminded of how young she is as she like go through goes through all these challenges and through that I felt like it was a really interesting way to kind of have these like political undertones of the book mm-hmm. um so can you talk a little bit more about that like what do you hope people take away from her story um yeah I mean I think that There are multiple pieces of this, you know. I think that one of the things that was really important to me politically and aesthetically was to just try to create as specific and full and rich a character as I could. When it came to this protagonist, I wanted space for her to desire. I wanted space for her to be difficult. I wanted space for her to... um, Sometimes I don't even like using language around being flawed and messing mm. up because it it is something that a lot of people have focused on, sort of a, like um, how refreshing they found it that she was flawed or what what have you. And I'm a little bit like, who among us, yeah. you know, who among us is like going through the world, like s- striding, you know, striding through rooms, not messing up mm-hmm. ever, um, having everything figured out, particularly at that age. You know, uh, if if that if that person exists, I, I did not meet her at 22. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that one one part of it was just like like writing the complex and rich um, South Asian like protagonist that I'd always you know wanted to read, and I'm always like thirsty for um, you, you know. And we're we're lucky at this time to be seeing more and more um, voices in the room, and I'll always be grateful grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about how you like first met Sneha? Like, how did she reveal herself to you as a character, and how much of yourself, I guess, did you bring into her? Yeah, I mean, I think that I. I think a lot of how I approached Sneha was this process that I call like slow acting, mm. um, where I 
I think the reality is Sneha, Sneha shares multiple things with my younger self, right? Like I think there's certain things you can only um, write in deeply convincing ways if you have um, lived some mm-hmm. facsimile of that of that experience. Um, I also, at the end of the day, will die on the hill of I write fiction, right. not memoir. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, unsatisfying answer, but it is my yeah. answer. Um, um, I think that the way that the way that Sneha really like came to me was was this mixture. Like I think it was really about two things coming together, and it was um, starting to write this um, this prose piece. I thought it might be a long short story um, that was really I thought shaping up to be this um, like short story or novella of um, the modern office mm. with this like disaffected, like, can't-be-bothered um, South Asian protagonist mm-hmm. with, you know, um, some uh, with, a, with a through line of uh, queer romance mm-hmm. running through it. And I knew it would be set in Milwaukee, um, a place I, I lived, after, <laughs> lived after undergrad um, and worked a very funny, very specific job mm-hmm. um, at. So I think the thing that made something shift for me was writing the final line of the first chapter, um, you know, which, um, like it's like, it closes with, um, the clause and decided I would be a slut. Like there was mm-hmm. something that pinged for me where I was like, oh, there's something here, there's something alive. And I'm going to follow that, that part of the voice, mm-hmm. um, more than the part that was like, a, like, yeah, like more withholding, more almost commenting on the time and the zeitgeist, you know, right. of 2013. And the other thing that I think really shaped the book was this realization that Sneha's parents needed to sort of stay out, stay out in a way mm. of um, her sphere. And I was like, well, how do I want to handle that? You know, I was like, do I make her an orphan? Do I? Mm. And then I realized this, like the reality that sort of shaped this character and shaped so much of what happens in the book, which is that they had left her slash been made to leave her mm-hmm. and were back in India and that she is this young person who's like making a life for herself alone and also forever tethered by this astral umbilical cord of mm-hmm. love and kinship but also like deep pain and trauma, mm-hmm. you know, across oceans. And I was like, this is who this character is. She's like lost something that is so large mm-hmm. that it's almost difficult to capture in language for her and so much of what she does is avoid, avoid, avoid this like sinkhole at the heart right. of who she is. Yeah, that's one of the things that moved me was how we just, as a reader, like slowly learn more about her relationship to her family. And it brings me back to, you know, the experience of like double consciousness that Mm. she experiences, like coming into adulthood. And she kind of like organizes her life around the notion of like queerness exists separate from family, which I think Mm -hmm. so much of so many of us can relate to. Um, But then at the same time, she develops like a new family, like, you know, the chosen family Mm -hmm. with her familial like relationships with her friends, Tig and Tom, who are such alive characters in the book and don't really feel like secondary characters at all um yes so good (laughs) but can you talk about the journey Sneha takes to accept I guess who she is and kind of reconciling with the pressures of being like the quote-unquote good Indian daughter and then I guess like forging a new understanding of family in the process yeah I mean I think my my hope is that the reader walks with Sneha and that in in a way that they really experience her journey of realizing that her walling off the different 
parts of our life, like their cells in an Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet, is so untenable. Um, I think that you get to like the the actual delivery of of the insight can almost seem a little bit trite, right? Mm-hmm. Like if the if the heart of the insight is. Yes, be vulnerable. Allow right. yourself to be known. Let people in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Build relationships. We're all like, okay, cool, Brene Brown. Like, we get it. But I think that there's something about seeing seeing certain political or relational axioms applied. Mm. Um, and applied in the context of a very specific person who has gone through very specific things. And you actually see, like, I think— um, all this could be different, sort of starts out with one person. We've talked a lot about Sneha, but I think even by the middle of the book and certainly by the end, it is this group portrait mm-hmm. um, of young people, like, you know, forging community through love and through struggle, um, you know, with some laughs and cries along the way. And um, I think you see each of these characters reckon with the gap between who they are and who they want to be, the gap between the world as it is presented to us mm-hmm. and the world that they want, the world that would allow them to be their most joyful and dignified selves. Absolutely. And oh, I'm just, I'm so like taken aback by how beautiful it is and like just hearing you talk about it and the the journey that I guess you took as a writer. Um, I'm so interested in that as well. I read your your sub stack about, <laughs> <laughs> um, you were working on a novel before, right? Before you came to this. Yeah. Um what was that like experience like? Like kind of leaving that behind and then starting a new project. Um, I'm sure it was challenging, but was there anything specific that like like a light bulb moment that happened where you're like, "This is the book that I'm going to write." Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is this: I, like many writers, had a vision for what my first book would be, and like many, um, especially young writers, mm-hmm. I really came to that vision of that first project from a place of a certain kind of emotional need, you know, and it was need that was um, informed by showing up in my late teens to this country, having grown up in the Middle East and um, and in a country in the Middle East that many people had not heard of. Um, I joked when I was a Maori teenager that, you know, um, that the primary reason people hadn't heard of Oman was that um, this country had not decided to invade it yet, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which, you know, made me many friends in <laughs> <laughs> the the Bush era Midwest. Um, but yeah, I think that um, so much of how I approached my um, doorstopper, Im- you know, um, immigration tome that I was trying to write and spent seven and a half years writing came from this place of wanting um, a fictionalized version of myself to, to be visible, mm-hmm. to be out in the world. So much of my my own life has been shaped by two migrations, um, not one. You know, when I was um, a very little child, my family moved to Oman, um, and we lived there more or less for 15, 16 mm-hmm. years. And, um, you know, it, and then after that, we came to North America. And I have a lot of thoughts about what it means to be, you know, um, to be a migrant, to be an immigrant, to mm-hmm. be an expat, um, and the the sense of flux and discombobulation that can create in your life, um, weird relationships to homelands, mm-hmm. all, all the things, like all the things, all yeah. the feelings. And so I, I worked on this book. I like put so much of myself in. And um, and then I came to the realization sometime, I think in like late 2019, early 2020, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that 
it wasn't alive in the mm. way that a book needs to be. I was like, the writing is good. Like some of the characters are like, I was like, this is like, it's not like it's awful by any means. But the complicated thing about a novel is mm-hmm. it has to work in totality. Yeah. You know, you can have like the most like fire for 60 pages, but you also have to have a working middle and mm-hmm. you also have to have like an equally good end. Yeah. And I was like, okay, she's not there. And I, you know, I won't miss words. It was like really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It coincided with other difficulties in my life. Um, you know, um, a little bit like my main character. I think a lot of, um, you know, in, in, in different ways a lot, but in, in, in ways that are similar enough. A lot of the journey, the personal journey I was having at this time was sort of realizing that I wasn't as much of a tough guy as I, <laughs> um, as I wanted to believe. Um, and that it was, you know, while I'm, plenty resilient I'm also human and so all these things were just like colliding mm-hmm. in very intense ways in my life and I just thought okay I'm very depressed mm-hmm. many people who love me are telling me to like give this book a rest and do something else and that's you know what I did I worked for a while um, and just tried to keep my head down and not write and then it was 2020 right like the yeah. year that like upended everyone's lives and um, I lost my work because mm-hmm. of COVID um, and I started organizing in my neighborhood and um, founded a mutual aid network mm-hmm. in, in Brooklyn called Bed Stuy Strong. And that really took up a ton of my time. And I realized somewhere in there, like months in, you know, just like working on stuff that mattered so much to me with a ton of other people, you know, like working this like super collective way and having mm-hmm. access to again and again, this, like, daily exposure to a certain kind of, like, muscular, unprecious, Mm. like, ordinary goodness, you know, and solidarity. I was like, when have I last read a novel that engages Mm. with this, like, that shows this? And then I thought, oh, I wonder about that piece of prose set in Milwaukee. I wonder. And so there was this sort of, like, connecting back, you know, um, this, like, being in conversation with what I was seeing and living in the present, um, and connecting back to, you know, the sort of prickly, aloof, everyman voice that yeah. I had before. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a beautiful part of the book as well is just like this. It's almost this um, subversive nature of like, oh, no, we're not going to live life this way. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom, one of the characters, is in a way I think Sneha, and correct if I'm wrong, like gets annoyed by his more like naive, privileged mm-hmm. um, dreams, I would say. But then she kind of starts to to get enticed by it. And it's like, oh, we can live differently than, you know, this nuclear isolated way. Um, and it seems like she kind of struggles with that back and forth of like, my family back home wants a certain life for me, mm-hmm. but I'm also seeing like a different possibility. Totally. And she wants a certain kind of life for herself, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's not even, it's not even this question only of like, I must be a good daughter yeah. and being part of a good daughter means that by my early thirties, I own a condo in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially after she gets past some of the hurdles around um, disclosure right. when it comes to, like, her personal life and her sexuality um, later in the book. But I think that she, something she also talks about, like, pretty openly um, in, the, in the novel um, to us, the reader, yeah. um, is the fact that she has been trained by mm. the world that she lives in to want certain things that are, like, frankly, like, bourgeois and totally understandable, mm-hmm. right? Like, she talks about it, like— you know, she was like, I want a life of middle class comfort, mm-hmm. you know, 
warm and soft as a cashmere sweater. And who yeah. like who can blame her? Like right. consider what this girl has lived through and seen. But I think that she also in so many ways you watch this young person be schooled by love and circumstance and I think she realizes the costs maybe of only choosing a certain kind of like moneyed security based mm-hmm. success without love without commitment um and you know this w- without answering the question of like who will be there for you when life brings you right. to your knees yeah um i love like the contrast between her you know main love interest and then tig who is her friend there's something that's so honest about when she talks about her like desire for marina mm-hmm. marina yeah um and it's there's just like these little moments where she's so honest with the reader about her own like internalized anti-blackness mm-hmm. and like all of that um I wonder if you can talk more about your decision to kind of not have her have a romantic relationship with Tig. Like, because I always felt like it was going to go there. And then I was like, huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I didn't know when I was writing for large periods. Like, I, I, did, I did wonder mm-hmm. if they would end up together, yeah. you know. And I was like, and I, my job, I see my job as a novelist to really try to avoid a certain kind of propaganda maybe a little mm-hmm. bit you know and just like be honest about the characters as i as i understand mm-hmm. them as i you know come to care for them and like see them like you know like my own little weird imaginary <laughs> best friends and i think at the time that um i mean if we're being honest i think like i knew that they would not become romantic right away mostly from this place of like i wanted to show in some ways, like, what internalized white supremacy mm-hmm. looks like um, on the part of brown people. Yeah. It's, something I see, it's something I see a lot of. And, um, you know, I wanted in some ways for readers to experience, like, the discomfort or the sympathetic embarrassment of, like, watching like watching someone do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I truly don't know what would be gained necessarily from watching a young person do everything right along a certain kind of like political moral spectrum, mm-hmm. especially in a way that didn't seem where where you where I would read it and be like, well, how did she learn? How did this young immigrant <laughs> with this history of trauma learn how to like make every single right move, right? right? Um, and so, yeah, I wanted people to like almost feel a little bit uncomfortable um, and then you know think about their own lives, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that one of the things that kept me away from, you know, like, I think there were parts, the, the novel jumps f- five years, you know, into the into the future, uh, into, like, 2019, and there is a, you know, reuniting of many mm-hmm. of the characters, and as I was getting ready to write it, you know, I was, like, flexing my fingers, I was like, I can't wait, I'm so hyped yeah. to, like, write this part of the novel, and I did wonder, during the first two pages of that, like, trying to, like, imagine what came next, I was like, do they get back together? Mm-hmm. Uh, or do they get together um, now that sort of Sneha is in this place where she might be able to appreciate mm-hmm. the, you know, insane, like, gift to her life that um, Tig would be? And I and there were a couple of practical considerations. One, I was just like, I didn't find it very very believable that Tig would yeah. carry, um, carry a, tor- a torch for Sneha f- five years later. Yeah. I just didn't. I was mm-hmm. like, Tig is married, has moved on, but like probably right. has like a bunch of lovers. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is this is right. This is <laughs> this is the person. Um, and I, but I also was like, would Tig want to ever have Sneha be one of their lovers? Mm-hmm. And honestly, where my heart was at that time was I wanted to write 
a novel where romantic love could be part of the engine, mm-hmm. but did not occupy the central aboutness. I wanted yeah. to write this love letter to friendship and to comradeship, um, which has been one of the most like special and defining forces mm-hmm. in my life. And really, in a world that like glorifies the couple, I think, um, and and like privatized one-on-one romantic love. Um, you know, I was like, let me not try to write like a queer marriage plot. Like, right. let me try to write the love letter to friendship and comradeship. Yeah, and I think there's something about being queer and like that family and community can be just as important, just as special as like romantic love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love how that, like you said, it's the engine, but there's just so much more to the story than just that part of it. And mm-hmm. also just like representation is so important, right? Like we can, we need so many types of stories and it's just wonderful that yours exists in the world now. Oh, thank you. Um, I would love to ask you about some authors that you read or books that you read in, during your writing process that informed your voice. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that for me, Toni Morrison and Arundhati mm. Roy reasons I became a writer, I think like encountering these greats in my teens Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes like totally by chance because I didn't have access to a lot of books or certainly any literary culture um how in in the context in which I grew up I think those are huge I think that the one of the some of the great debts in all this could be different are like named in the acknowledgements Mm -hmm. of the book so I thank Lucy by Jamaica Kincaid Mm -hmm. um who like that book really gave me the key more than any other book to like figure out like oh, this is one way to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, All This Could Be Different is wildly different from Lucy yeah. in a variety of ways, but there are, like, I think any, like I think a discerning reader can go to it and be like, I see the similarities. Mm-hmm. You have, like, a certain kind of voice that, you know, is mirrored in both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you also have, like, re- like relation- a tortured relationship to Homeland mm-hmm. is mirrored in both. Um, and that creates, like, all kinds of interesting emotional textures. Ta- Open City by Teju Cole um, also influences book in a, in a variety of ways, even, even if it was almost oppositional. Like, I love that novel. And I was also like, damn, like, when I was a y- like, young person, like, young immigrant to this country, like, my life was not the flaneur's life, yeah. you know, wandering around this walkable city. It was like, a, please, will you give me a ride? <laughs> it's really yes. cold. And so, and that seemed important, too. In so many ways, all this could be different. It's like an anti-flaneur novel. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a novel of dependence mm-hmm. um, and, um, like, dependence and precarity and the and showing the bonds and also the difficulties that can flourish in that particular situation. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm reading a bunch of stuff right now. So much of it is great. Um, I recently read uh, Blue Skin Gods by mm-hmm. S.J. Sindhu. Um, I'm reading um, advanced copies right now of novels by um, Gina, Gina Chung. Um, one is called, it's called Sea Change. It seems amazing so far. Mm-hmm. Hope by Andrew Ritker, which is coming out next summer, I think, from um, uh, Viking, um, cool. from PRH. And Couplets by Maggie Milner, which is... I'm obsessed with it. It is um, a novel in verse, mm-hmm. wow. um, and it's so good and so queer and it's like just like exhilarating. I'm definitely going to read it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> is there anything you want to like tell our listeners about what's coming up for you next? Any future plans you want to share, or you're just like I'm going to chill on the couch and enjoy the success? <laughs> I, you know, I am trying hard to write something new. Mm-hmm. And if any, if any listeners want to send me a good astral vibe that I'm able (laughs) to, I would always appreciate that. Of course. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and learn more about your work. Oh my God, it's been a total joy. Thank you for talking. Of course. 
Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.